Welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast that dives deep into important topics and fosters understanding by exploring captivating interviews with diverse guests, where we discuss how their unique experiences have shaped them into the individuals they are today. This podcast is committed to having honest and thought-provoking conversations to arouse curiosity and convey essential messages of empathy, inclusion, and diversity, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. I'm excited to be welcoming Dory McWhorter, the president and CEO of the YMCA of Metropolitan Chicago to the podcast. With an impressive background in both the private sector and nonprofit organizations, Dory is truly a leader in multiple realms. With her dedication to social consciousness and global business, Dory shares her unique perspectives on improving the world as we dive into her experiences. From her growth as an influential leader to the enduring impact of a letter she wrote to Santa Claus at the age of 11. Get ready for an insightful conversation with Dory McCorder on this episode of For Your Listening Pleasure. Enjoy. Listeners, before we dive into today's conversation, I want to tell you about my new favorite kitchen gadget, the Berry Blaster. I don't know about you, but I love fresh strawberries during the warm summer months. The only downside is I hate how much fruit is wasted when you cut off the top of the strawberries. Well, I recently found the Berry Blaster, which helps prevent fruit waste. And all you have to do is pop off the tops and your berries are ready to eat. You don't need to be a savant in the kitchen to use the Berry Blaster, and it's even safe for children of all ages to use. The best part is the Berry Blaster contains no sharp knives, it's dishwasher safe, and it takes up little to no space in your kitchen. To learn more about the Berry Blaster, visit the link in this episode's show notes or go to Amazon and search Berry Blaster. Lastly, check them out on Instagram at the Berry Blaster and give them a follow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Dory, thank you so much for joining me today on For Your Listening Pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation. One thing I found really interesting when I was doing research is not only how impressive it is that you sit on, I believe, give or take right now, 14 different boards. And we'll definitely go into that. But when you were younger at 11 years old, you wrote this letter to Santa. And I saw this in a few interviews, but for listeners who maybe don't know the story, I think it really sets up uh, your origin story of what you really wanted to do. Would you mind telling us at 11 years old, what you wrote to Santa? Sure, I'm happy to. And first of all, Mallory, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to to be here. And so, you know, I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I am still a firm believer in in Santa Claus and absolutely what he stands for. And so, you know, I could share this letter with you. Let me make sure I got it. There we go. So the letter said, Dear Santa, how are you? You'll never believe what I want for Xmas. Just three simple things. One, to make everyone alive today be okay. Two, to give me a little something like a picture of you to show people you are real. If you have a picture with you now, please give me one if possible. Three, this is a big one. What I want is for you to ask my parents if I could be their accountant for one month. It won't cost them a thing. Well, maybe a few hundred dollars. Ha ha. I just know I could do it. They can trust me. I just know I can do it. Please ask them for me. If they say no, please ask them to give me an explanation why or why not. I could start January 1st, 1985. Please have them see me for more info. Thanks, Santa. Love your friend, Dory McGee, at the time. P.S. I left you a sucker. Right back, please. So I read that all fast and say that to say that I was actually happy to see that I was kind of anchored in not only wanting to be an accountant, but really wanting the world to be okay at 11. (laughs) I thought that's so amazing that you've had 
those two different aspects ingrained in you. And at 11 years old to say, I want to be an accountant. I don't know many 11 year olds that want to be an accountant, let alone that have the wherewithal to say, I want everyone to be okay. Was that something that was taught to you by your parents that wanting everyone to be okay and to do good? You know, it's interesting. I don't know that that's what they sought to do, but, you know, kids, we, we look at role models and examples. And so one of the things that I saw in my parents' behavior, particularly my dad, I could just recall him just one acknowledging people and treating no one as if they're invisible. So people would work on our house. He would bring, he would bring out soda or water and, you know, we would walk up and down the street and we would make sure he, said hello to every person in the yard, regardless of what they were doing. And so I just think that he just taught me the importance of of seeing people and recognizing them. And so by, by default, I think that I concluded that, you know, I don't know why I specified everyone alive today, <laughs> be okay. But I, you know, definitely had a strong sense of humanity very early. And you grew up both in Chicago, then your family moved out to Racine, and you ended up going to the University of Wisconsin. What was that experience like for you? Sure. You know, it's interesting because I think growing up in Racine, Wisconsin, being so close to Chicago and spending my summers there and after having been born in Chicago and raised in Racine, Wisconsin, it was um, interesting because once I got to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, it was probably one of the less diverse places I had ever spent my time. And having said that, particularly being in the School of Business with, with even, even less diversity there, that I did find it challenging at time, mostly because there were just so many people at that time in the university's um, experience that didn't necessarily have experiences with others. And so I kind of felt othered and had never had that type of experience growing up in Racine where it was more diverse than, you know, most people think because it's in Wisconsin, but have to think the proximity between Chicago and Milwaukee really helps drive that. And that feeling of otherness, it's something I've heard other podcasts talk about. I've talked about with other friends of mine who have felt like that. And each experience is very different, but how you get through it, it seems like people kind of give you those bullet points that have helped them. What would you recommend to those individuals who maybe are going to be entering school in the fall, or they just graduated and going to a new employer, starting their first job, and they feel that otherness? What would you recommend? You know, it's interesting. What I what I've leaned into, and I see now more programs that are happening in school to help people find sort of their tribe, right? Those other groups of folks, or I shouldn't say other, but groups of folks that have common experiences as they do. And so what's helpful about that is that you do begin to, you know, shape um, friendships and camaraderie that do become really supportive of you as you continue these experiences. And so I think about when I was at the University of Wisconsin, I still have a group of girls that I that I hang with this to this day that were, you know, part of that college experience for me, as well as I think about when I started my career at Arthur Anderson, I still have the same group of girls, group of ladies, women that were part of that experience that we all sort of went through what it meant to be in a large public accounting firm and not have a lot of diversity around us. And you have had such an impressive career. You mentioned Arthur Anderson, but then you've also worked for um, former Mayor Rahm Emanuel in the city of Chicago. You've been on several different boards. You were the CEO of the YWCA 
in metropolitan Chicago. How did you move from the formal accounting firm into politics? Yeah, and part of it um, with the the work that I've actually um, under Mayor Emanuel's second term administration the role was to support um, the strategic planning process. So effectively it was a volunteer position um, and and um, one that you were just temporarily appointed to, um, to get through what the priorities would be for the second term. But what was very useful about that experience is that, you know, to your point, being able to see such an important part of our marketplace, which is the government in that sector, how it really supports. We were looking at some of the strategies in particular to hope to help education and um, and support working mothers and working parents. And so being a part of that and being the having the opportunity, I should say, to to show up in these different places, I think has helped me gain perspective that I wouldn't necessarily have access to. So I really love the fact that I started and have spent the majority of my career to date um, in corporate America and being able to translate those skills and the learnings that I got there into other environments, but then also participating, whether it's on a volunteer basis um, and other nonprofits, as well as the government sector, really, you know, completing what I would say is a, a well-rounded um, experience in those sectors that really make up our entire marketplace. You were at the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago for a little over eight years. And during that time, you grew the operating budget from $10.5 million to $38 million. Can we talk about not only the operating budget, but obviously like those eight years, what you've accomplished there? And then also, what did you really learn from working with so many other people and also being the CEO of such a big organization? Sure. So a couple of things there, you know, none of it was done by myself, right? So we had just an amazing team. And I know lots of leaders say, oh, it was the team, but I really mean it was the team. And they were just as vested as I was in making sure that this organization um, really survived and operated in a way to serve as many people as we can. And I still, of course, run into and see my YWCA colleagues, and we reflect on just what a great time we had building and expanding the organization and serving so many people while we were doing it. Um, so from a learning perspective, one of the things that I take with me is that it's so important to engage the people that you're doing the work with. I say because I have been in so many different environments that I don't come with sort of a pre-constructed handbook or playbook as to how to get anything done that I sort of write the plays for the players on the field. And I think that that's such an important aspect to leading is really leaning in and understanding who do you got? on the team and how can you make them great, right? How can you support them in their greatness? And in doing so, you end up creating amazing organizations. And that's what we saw at the YW. So I didn't have to tell them, you do this and you do this and you do that. What my goal was is to help them understand just how valuable their work was and then have, and then they leaned into how they can further um, create greater value with their work, which for us, the nature of our work by creating value, we create greater impact, right? So that was just the beauty of the work that we did together, which I still, you know, love to this day and just really have so much respect and admiration for the people doing it. What I found really interesting when I was uh, getting ready for this interview is on your LinkedIn profile, it says you are an accomplished optimist and socially conscious international business leader dedicated 
to improving the world. And I know that recently you are on now Lands Attack. I would love to learn more about that, <laughs> given that we are in a climate crisis. That's not a question. And I think more organizations like this need to exist. But when you mentioned it last time we spoke, I had never heard of it. So I would love to learn more about it. So Lands Attack is really interesting. And I actually um, met the the CEO of Lands Attack while um, while they were partnering with the work the YWCA was doing to um, support more girls in tech, so more girls in STEM. And what was so fascinating to me was to learn how Lands Attack was really taking um, carbon emissions and recycling that carbon through its um, technology to then create other products like ethanol. Um, and then ethanol and their other products can be used in other consumer um, consumer goods. And so to me, I just think that that just is such a great representation of, yes, we, we need to eliminate carbon emissions as much as possible, but to the degree that we can take the carbon as feedstock and, and create um, other products with it instead of letting it out into the atmosphere, I think is really important as well. I know you said you met the CEO, but was this even on your radar? Because like I said, I believe you're on 14 different boards, which I would definitely want to talk about how you manage all that. But was this even something you knew about? I had no idea, Mallory. I was on so many boards. (laughs) It's a great thing. It's a great thing. I compartmentalize everything. So I don't think I've known that in the aggregate, what that number is. Um, So, you know, Lanzatech, when they um, understanding with the CEO, understanding that I had an accounting background and um, particularly the audit space and management consulting space was a skill set that they needed as they looked to um, create uh, a board as they went public. And so I think that skill set absolutely continues to serve me well. And something that I'm curious about as I'm growing in my career, and I've worked with people who are on boards or have met people who give their time, energy, and their ideas to boards, how do you even start the process of getting involved with a board? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I do think that, you know, wherever you choose to engage, when you show up, it allows you to make um, connections with people that then understand how you contribute, how you work. And then often, um, because of that awareness, as opportunities come up, people invite you to apply or support you in those opportunities. And that has been my experience. So I don't even, well, I do know that when I was even working on nonprofit boards or doing the work that I didn't necessarily say that um, my next goal is this level board as much as, you know, it's, and of course, to have that goal, I think is really important so that you can recognize those opportunities as they come. But I also think, you know, working with others and, and showing up so people can get a sense of how you work and and how you do things is really important. And then those people can often be the ones to refer you to the different opportunities um, when when they may be aware of a skill set that's needed and you have that skill set and really help connect the dots. But I also think to the degree that there's interest in those things, it's important to express that so folks know that if opportunities are available, that they can call you for those opportunities too. When you are kind of being pulled in so many different directions. I've heard from a lot of, especially female guests who say sometimes it can be overwhelming. You're everything to everyone all at once. How do you manage everything? Because you also are still working on top of dedicating time and you also need a work-life balance too and being able to enjoy your downtime. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think this is all really a matter of perspective to some degree. Like, I enjoy the things that I do and I choose to be around people and put the things on my plate that truly give me joy. Um, and I say that it's really important because first of all, I think about who are the people I'm going to be around and do I want to spend time with those people? And if that's a yes, because there's lots of people that I like, um, well, then will the next sort of the next layer of consideration for me is will the work give me joy and what does that look like? And joy for me is intellectual stimulation sometimes, but joy could also mean, to your point, just sort of doing nothing and just being because being is doing for me. And so I think it really just depends on um, making sure that I have sort of this, I, you know, I, I, I say that I love tapas and I live tapa style, right? That I like a little bit of everything. And I do think that I've sort of constructed this portfolio approach to life where I do know um, what are those things that truly give me joy and who I want to be around in that process. And then also um, then, you know, the good thing is, is very little, very, I should say, not very often does everything collide at once, right? And when that happens, you have to make choices about what you have to prioritize at that moment. But for the most part, even being on, if you say 14 boards, Mallory, I'm going to believe you, even being on 14 boards, they don't all meet the same day. (laughs) Or that would be really hard. So I just think that there's, you know, you just have to prioritize and, you know, choose where you need to um, sort of spend your energy and time that day. I want to say I got that number I was counting off the article I read recently, and I don't know if those are boards holistically throughout your life, or is that what you're currently on? But either way, you've been a part of 14 different organizations, and I'm sure from those organizations, you've gotten to meet and grow with so many other people. Your network just keeps expanding. Also, when I was researching, I understand you have a Wonder Woman tattoo. I do. <laughs> what is that significance? Because I know for me, tattoos have a lot of significance. I won't Absolutely. put anything on my body unless I've wanted for at least a year and there's a significance. So I've always asked people when I find out what they have. Sure. No, I have Wonder Woman. One, I've been a fan of Wonder Woman for some time and I have it sort of inside my wrist as a almost a confidence reminder, right? That you know, that yes, that, you know, I'm confident it can do things and, and helps me get through those moments. And so I, I love having sort of that, that I won't say it's not so secret, but it's a reminder because mostly your hand faces in, right? So that to me is just important in a, in a symbol um, for, for myself. And then I always love to ask, especially like female powerhouses, what advice would you give to younger generations? Because I'm 33, I am looking to continue to grow and expand not only my network, but my skills and my career. But I also kind of had a major freak out when I turned 33, realizing that a third of my life is over. And then what would I tell my younger self? And I know that when we look back, it's like, oh, I wish I would have known this advice or I wish I would have known this. And now as you continue to grow, what do you want to tell the younger generations? So that's so interesting because I actually turned 50 a month in a month. (laughs) And I'm so excited because I'm like, oh, I've done this for 50 years now. I got to make sure the next 50 is better than the first 50, right? (laughs) And so I'm just um, excited that we have an opportunity to continue to to live and learn and grow and and, um, really have 
continue to create the lives that that matter most to us. And so um, what I would say, the one piece, and I, and I don't necessarily give advice because I always say that I don't need other people's fears showing up in my career. So I try not to tell people what to do because most advice is based on what people don't want you to do. But what I would remind people of is that, you know, we all have our own stories and our own journeys. And so I think if I had been, as I see my Wonder Woman tattoo, right, that I think if I had been more confident in myself earlier on, I don't know what perhaps would have changed if I would have, you know, reached other goals faster. But what I've now realized sitting here, you know, knocking on 50 is that, you know, no one knows anything. <laughs> like literally, people just have their perspective based on whatever their experience is. So that kind of has given me real permission to still go at it my own way um, in a way that feels right for me. And so not just to be a contrarian that I'm going to do it my way as much as it is that I'm going to do it my way, because guess what? No one else has lived the life that I live. No one else has walked in these shoes. And so it's important for me to continue to show up in ways that are authentic to me and see what life bring, what life brings me. That definitely hit home for me. I got some goosebumps when you said one the confidence aspect, and then also that people actually don't know half the time what they're talking about. And I think as I've ninety percent of the time, not even half, Mallory, like ninety percent. What they know is their experience, and I. I give them credit for knowing that, but they don't know what their experience, how that experience translates to your life. Especially when you're in the corporate world and you're pushing your experience more globally or further out, you as a leader need to realize like my experience is not going to be the same as the experience next to me or the person across the table. And that's what takes good leadership. But it seems like lately people are just so focus on them and what they want and they feel, which is great. I want you to feel your feelings. I want your feelings are valid, but that doesn't mean that your experience is the same across the board. And especially for me, I'm in marketing. I really push back a lot when I'm like, that's not the right way to market it. Cause not everyone's going to have that feeling. People really don't know what they're talking about, but you really leaned into, I know it feels good for me and I'm going to surround myself with people that also believe in me and understand where I'm coming from. Absolutely. And you can always gain perspective, but recognize that it's that just that it's others perspective, right? So I do think it's important to gain perspective, but I don't think it's a prescription. I think it's a perspective. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot. We are in 2023 right now. Next year, 2024, it's an election year. Uh, Chicago got the Democratic Convention coming its way, even though we have traffic each and every highway leading into the city. So I wish everyone luck. But looking ahead and knowing how much you have given your career working with nonprofit organizations, trying to do the best for people, what would you recommend or how can people really get involved over the next year? You obviously were at the WMCA and you've been with other organizations. And as someone who is very highly regarded in that space, I'm just kind of curious, what can people, especially younger individuals, start to get on their radar or try to get more involved leading up to this new election cycle? Sure. I think that there's always, you know, opportunities for people to find what's aligned with them. And part of it, it's, it's hard for me to say these are the two things or three things. But I do think that, you know, we're fortunate that we are in the Chicago metropolitan area. And by doing so, we just get access to like 
you mentioned that the Democratic National Convention's coming. There's other just exciting moments that are happening in the city of Chicago. And so I think it's really up to us again to figure out what's aligned to what we what we find that gives us most joy and where it could possibly support us in our career goals and objectives and really be deliberate and intentional about seeking those things out. Because my guess is that there's going to be so many roles to play, even um, in current organizations. And so how can people really be thoughtful about seeking those out and intentional about that as well? Just, you know, not like, oh, this great thing is coming here. See, let's see how it works out. But no, really saying, you know, this great thing is coming here. I want to be a part of it. Let me go find out the ways to do that. No, I think that's great advice. Dory, I know how busy you are and I want to be really mindful of your time. And I so appreciate you coming on and chatting with me. Uh, it's really been such an honor to be able to connect connect with you more and learn a little bit more about your journey and your experience. I end every episode with the final three questions. And the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? So there's actually a couple, but I narrow it to one. One is that I love by Maya Angelou, and she says that a solitary fantasy can transform a million realities. And I just love that so much because it really does mean that any of us can make a difference and we just never know until we try. Very fitting for this conversation. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? Oh, that's big, given that I'm about to hit the 50. I have plenty to choose from. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, I have to say, and I, I don't want to want you to believe that I'm taking the easy way out, but it would be hard for me to choose just that one day because I feel like every moment contributes to who I am and what I've learned, and I wouldn't want to change any of it, whether we you know, label it good or bad. I just wouldn't want to change any of it because clearly it was all part of the, the journey for me. Dory, you'll be happy to know you're not alone. I've had several podcast guests say the exact same thing, which I think is so beautiful that it's the good, the bad, the ugly, everything has led you to where you are. The final question, which is my personal favorite, is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would you choose? You know what? I, I immediately what comes to mind is um, Jay-Z's like, show them what you got, little mama. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I would. I hear that every time I walk, like, show them what you got. <laughs> you know, so I love it. That's going to be, <laughs> be the first Jay-Z song. So I'm going to add that song to the four-year listening pleasure theme oh, song good. playlist on Spotify. So listeners can hear your theme song along with everyone else's. And it's our first Jay-Z song. So. Okay, I'm surprised. <laughs> I know, I know. I always love hearing what people are going to choose. So I'm excited to add that. Again, Dory, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm sure I will see you out and about at various events in Chicago over the next several months. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Mallory.